if I do it like my day two hair, if I wear it down, instead of putting it up in my messy bun, I'll do like the mermaid waves. So that's what I did today. Second day hair, mermaid waves. Yes, I got that second day hair. I got, I had to put my curls up in the uh, pineapple last night yep. <laughs> with a bonnet so the curls wouldn't get all messed up because I washed it yesterday. Your headband is cute. Thank you. I saw my sister last night and uh, <clears throat> before we met, I was like, you better bring me my headbands because she'd be stealing my shit and I want them back. I want them back. So I got it back. Welcome to the weekly show about art, politics, and pop culture from a phenomenally female perspective. I'm Sarah. I'm Shantae. I'm Eliane, and this is Unapologetically She. everyone to another episode of unapologetically she this is episode 19 19 yeah 19 and these are like 19 regular episodes because season one we did a few bonus you know surprise episodes here and there so Mm -hmm. done a lot of (laughs) a lot of talking yeah we got a lot to say we got a lot to add that you're here to listen to us right talk all the talk. So thank you listeners for being here with us. Shantae got to choose our lovely drink of the week this week. What did you choose for us? I am not as festive as my fellow co-hosts because, you know, they like to, you know, make drinks and make, because I don't really drink a lot of liquor, but I'd love me some damn wine. And one of my favorite wines is between pink Moscato, Moscato, or... Rosé. And today is a sparkling Moscato, which is rosé. The brand is spelled B-A-R-T-E-N-R-U-A. You can find it at your like your local like um, wine stores or liquor stores or wine spirit stores. Mm -hmm. It's a really it's really good. It's sparkly. I love it. I got it for my birthday and then my mom gave me another one. So I'm just going to ask if they sell this brand and keep the bag as always it comes in a nice pretty bag so i love it i love a good packaging (laughs) yes and i can use that bag for so many different things and the bottle's pretty too the bottle's really pretty too stick a candle in there and make it like a little centerpiece on your table yeah i know i'm ghetto i kept i kept the bottle of rosé and sometimes (laughs) i put flowers in it so you know what i guess we could both be (laughs) together exactly look i have an empty bottle of this brand called rosé all day and because the bottle's so pretty and it goes with everything in my living room i put like one or two roses in there Mm -hmm. yep I know my mom, my mom came to visit me in England when I was there. She came for six weeks, right? And she saw that I had like these, and I had nicer bottles of wine with flowers. And, you know, I had this really pretty ice wine bottle. And 
I had like candles in some of them and I had flowers in some of them. And my mom just looks at me and says, I did not raise white trash. Ah, ah, and, ah. and I'm like, what? Are you serious right now? You just called your daughter white trash? Really? Thanks, mom. I love you too. Oh, 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 oh. Well, what have you ladies been up to this week? Like, what is, how was your week? <laughs> That's why I'm drinking this bottle of rosé. It was <laughs> one of the most toughest weeks, I think, at work since I started here. And, you know, like, I think it was a combination of me missing the deadline and not having enough money to pay off the spring semester because I was promised one, one amount from a family member, but got another amount. So I had to come up with some. Thankfully, I only have $50 left. But still, like, I miss it. Like, listen, that $50 is going to give me lunch this week. <laughs> exactly. Right. And I, and I was so. And those schools don't split hairs if it's $50 I don't know short. I was so upset. And I was just like, and I think I was so upset. I bowled. My boss even knew what the hell was wrong. And she was like, there's something wrong with you. Are you all right? <laughs> and then I'll just like, why do you have tears flowing down my eyes right now? Like, cause I don't like to cry in front of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I cried in front of y'all, but I was still embarrassed. So of course, and then I just cried on, on the phone to my mom and she was like, are you okay? Are you all right? She says, Shante, you know, you're always not going to have a good day. And she said, and this is meant for you. God meant this for you. So she's been, my mom always sent me like, motivating messages but she wouldn't she's been on it for like quite some time like today she sent something today and she says every day may not be good but there is good in every day oh i love that that's good i like that oh nice that's one i should write down mm-hmm. so yeah it was a rough one but how was how was your, I, I know you had something at your job which was crazy from what I heard, with a strike, almost. Oh, well, yeah, as of right now, our entire UFT workforce in New York City is working under an expired contract. For the first time since 2014, the last time it happened was under the Bloomberg administration, which is not the loveliest thing. It's not a good uh, statistic to be like compared to... (laughs) Thanks, Mayor Adams. Um, Thanks, Mayor Adams. And and just to put it into perspective, the last time this happened, we went so many years. It was years without a new contract. And so when when it was finally renegotiated and they, you know, they had to give us back the money that they owed us from the raises that we would have gotten had we had a new contract in those years. and because it was so much money that they owed us, they had to do it in installments. Otherwise, they would have literally bankrupted the city. That's how much money they owe, they owed the the staff of of our union. So, and and it took back. It took um, about seven years to get to have them pay it all back. That's how long it took in installments. So it was hopefully this time it doesn't go on for so long. Because eventually, you know, my union is a very big union, one of the biggest. So we're yeah. going to get what we want eventually. No, you won't. You, you will get it. Like, you will get it. 
probably towards the end of this year, probably like before the holiday season. I really hope so. But the thing is, Mayor Adams, his administration hasn't sat down with any of the city's unions yet. And they've been trying since, obviously, they didn't wait until the contract expired to then ask to sit down with him. They wanted to avoid an expiration period in the first place, but um, he has not committed to sitting down with any of the unions yet. So, so that's, the 30 around. that's the 30B2 union also, and then it's a, a lot of unions. Because we don't have a lot, but there's some. That's uh, there's a lot, like the 1199, like all the city worker unions, all of them. He hasn't sat down to negotiate with anyone. But anyway, um, on top of that, I, I get my nails done. Look, ladies, my claws are back. They are so nice. I saw pictures of them. They're, they're like, they're like that rose gold pattern thingy, and I love them. I love my girly shit. Cause you know, it takes the edge off of a week like that. <laughs> so, you know, here we go. We're gonna get started cause it's been a week in pop culture and politics and art and the whole nine. So <laughs> before we get started with our shot topics this week and respond with our chasers, let's ask some burning questions. The things, the read, the, I, I was gonna say the readers like, Y'all, we ain't writers, we're, we're podcast. The listeners, <laughs> things the listeners are dying to know. All right, so Shantae, what's your favorite board game? I actually like Life, Between Life and Monopoly. Oh, I like And that. Sorry. Well, you gotta pick one, pick one. Oh God, really? It's the burning question. We need to know what's your favorite. I need to know. It's hard because it's between Monopoly and I'm sorry. Okay. All right. I'll allow it. I'll allow it since they're pretty different, those two. Sarah, are you ready? Yeah. What was your most embarrassing moment in grade school? In grade school? Yeah, let's say K to 12. K to 12. Oh, yeah. God. Anything. Oh, God. My most embarrassing. Fuck. You guys are going to make me do this. Okay. <laughs> so I had, I had, I had started getting my period <laughs> and my body wasn't regulating. So I was bleeding for like three months at a time. Oh. And before I, went to a doctor and got straightened out. Um, it was very heavy flow. It was for months at a time. And I had changed my maxi pad at lunch. And my first class after lunch was, was girls choir. <laughs> Actually, it, it was lyricals. It wasn't girls choir, it was lyricals, uh, which was like right below our acapella choir. And um, I changed my pad, sitting in there, sitting in choir, singing along. <clears throat> I shifted forward for something. And one of the girls behind me was like, Sarah, look at your chair. And I had bled through. And it was an overnight, thick overnight pad, not the thick and thin ones from nowadays, but a thick one. In the course of 45 minutes, I had bled completely through it and leaked out onto the chair. Oh, that was fucking embarrassing. Oh, that's the worst. Oh my and, God. And concerning, but fucking embarrassing. Oh, so. 
Now the whole world knows. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For- US. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners want to know. <laughs> yeah. Shantae, I'm going to let you ask the, ask Elian our burning questions. Well, I yes, feel you like want to have a burning question for everybody because you want to be in everybody's business. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your favorite position? Oh, ooh. Mm. Why don't you ask me about an embarrassing question like that? We're talking about positions. (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, there's a few I really like. I don't like to stay in one position for too long. I think it might be my ADHD. (laughs) But one of my favorites is, okay, it's doggy style, but laying on your side. Do you, do you know, so not really doggy style, for, but like on it's the not doggy I, style, but it's from basically behind. like spooning. It's like spooning. It's spooning fucking, and I love it. <laughs> Would it be spucking? It's spucking. It's spooking. Because <laughs> yeah, you always want to ask, what is it, burning questions? So like, yeah. Spooning? <laughs> yep, that's my fave. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, Sarah, take us away into shot and chaser. Oh, Sarah's like, bitch, I just took a uh, I just took a bite of a sandwich. Good ass. <laughs> Read the room, Eliane. Read the <laughs> look at these chipmunk cheeks. I tell me I'm ready. Okay. Taking effect. I guess the, the, the yeah. yeah. <laughs> so kicking off our shot and chaser. I can those. For those who are new here, we bring up a topic. None of us knows what the others, what each other is going to bring up. Um, so they tell us their topic, their shot, and we follow it up with chasers with our cold reactions on the topics. And first up this week is Eliane. All right. Well, this week I'm going to combine two things I love very much. Pop culture with some politics in there. Okay. So this past weekend was the Emmys. I don't know if you all watched. It was a big night for Black women. Black actresses picked up, I want to say about three of those awards. I'm sorry, it was two acting awards, one for writing. And Kinta Bronson won the Emmy for writing for the show Abbott Elementary. And when she went up uh, to give her acceptance speech, Jimmy Kimmel's dumbass <laughs> was laying, literally laying on the floor on the stage, playing dead because of some skit that was right before they announced the nominees. And instead of getting up before she got to the stage to accept her award, he just laid there, laid there. She had to literally physically step over him to get to the mic, okay? And she even was like, Jimmy, I won, wake up, like kind of giving him the out to like get up and leave. But no, he just stayed there. And in every single shot of her accepting her award, you see Jimmy Kimmel's dumb ass laying on the fucking floor next to her. And it made me think, oh my God, why can't white people let black people have their moments without making it about them. And so that's what I wanted to discuss with you guys this week. 
what the heck is it with white people needing to insert themselves into special moments for people of color and for black people and really specifically for black women. It's, it's like killjoys. They're trying to kill the black joy, right? Black people already don't get these moments as often as they deserve to get them. And then once they finally get a moment, you're gonna fucking upstage them by fucking literally laying in their way. This is why I never liked to show. I never watched his show because I always thought he was like a privileged white man. He's not funny. He's not funny. No. You're no David Letterman. You will never be. And the fact is that, cause I don't watch the Emmys, but I knew Abbott Elementary was a better show than Queen. Let's be real. It was, it was, it was a, it was a much better show. I don't watch it, but I heard it's really good. And so the simple fact is, you know, people like Jimmy Carey, like white men and white women, like Jimmy Kimmel is the reason why, like, I literally like take my time to call pe white people an ally. Some people may think I'm racist, but so be it. If you think I'm racist, then so be it. It's not being racist. It's just examining who is an ally. It's keeping yourself safe and protected. That too. Jimmy Kimmel is... Jimmy Kimmel is doing what white people do best, focusing everything on themselves. Because if we are not in the center of attention, then we will make ourselves be the center of attention because that is what we have to do. Yeah, that, that bothered the hell out of me. I, I'm sitting here alone in my living room watching this, yelling at the TV, being like, move. Literally move, get the hell out of the way. What are you doing? Well, and people are saying oh, that it was like some kind of a joke. And I'm like, what fucking joke? Like so what I fucking joke is going to make him say, stay on the floor right. in her way? Yeah. Uh, uh, right before they announced those nominees, him and Will Arnett did a skit where I believe Will Arnett killed him <laughs> or he was, he was dead on the floor. I don't even un understand what the joke of that was. But the point is, once they cut to the video, right, showing the nominees, get up because somebody's about to win, right? And, and, and my thought immediately went to, well, if it had been a white person, would he have stayed laying on the floor? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But, you know, I'm going to go ahead on a limb and say, no, he wouldn't have. And I'm just tired. Like, white people, it doesn't always have to be about you. It doesn't. It like does. you said, like you said earlier, read the room, read a black room, a black woman just won an award, get your ass off the stage and let her have her fucking moment. Yeah. It's just fucking rude. I can't, I can't take it. No. What well, do you got, Shante? Yeah. Speaking on white people, I, I guess this episode may be dedicated to white people. So if you're white and you feel offended, maybe you don't have to listen today. So this is not the show for you. <laughs> no, actually, I'm going to actually you need to listen. It is the show for you if you feel yes. about that. Yes. So, you know, the importance of this midterm is very, 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 very important. I want to stress the fact that like it, democracy is hanging by a, a very thin thread. We have voting rights at stake, especially for myself and Eliane and even you, Sarah, as even though you're a white woman, but you're a part of the LGBTQ community. So your rights is as a person, part of that community, you know, it's under siege with marriage equality. Mm -hmm. 
you know, then there is, you know, the choice of going to school, you know, the Brown versus Board of Education, they're trying to repeal that too. Also, I heard a senator once, you know, the Plessy versus Ferguson, that was from 1896 to be, you know, up for discussion, which was already settled law. Sad, but that was killed later on. You know, we have our civil liberties as Americans are at risk. And yes, reproductive rights. I say that too. I don't say that first. I say that last because I'm a black person in this country. So my voting rights, if my voting rights is taken away, forget about all the other shit. And so I don't understand. There's people that still wants to withhold their votes or want to hold Democrats accountable. So y'all know when I, I don't necessarily, you know, call people out. I don't tag people with names, anything, and none of my social media posts. But this one particular commentator work on my last nerve. I never had the thrill to follow this person. It just so happens this person always showed up on my timeline because other people retweet this fucking person. So um, I said in my initial post to this particular person, I'm going to, um, I think I shared this with you guys, but I'm just going to read the screenshot. I was like, when is this person basically going to, um, you know, support the Biden and Harris agenda and she's going, and she's going to get her white sisters and white brothers aboard, on board, right? And she's going to get those motherfuckers on board. So this is her response to me. Her response to me was, no, the Democrats found their fight. I'm proud of them and doesn't change my point last June. So you wanna call out the DNC chair, even though he can step it up, and you're going to call people out on the DCC, but you don't want to call out your white brothers and sisters to vote, but these motherfuckers are going to vote for the GOP. They, they're propping up Liz Cheney as the next presidential nominee. But you want to call out Democrats and say they need to find their fight. Oh, they find their fight already. And then you got invited to the White House. Who's to say the president was there the day you was there? You was invited to somewhere where young creators and I was the old, you was the old, oldest one there because you're whack. You don't say no, nothing important. You don't you don't promote black women. I always see white women on your podcast and they're always loud and wrong like you. The only reason why you get shot because white men propped you up. Mightiest touch. Ladies, y'all got something to say because I'm so sick of these white people, you know, always want to hold Democrats accountable because the majority of the Democrat leadership is people of color and even white women and all these other white people. Saying, well, I don't know because they haven't done much for me yet. I mean, she may have been invited to the White House, but who was standing next to her in the White House? No one. Exactly. Is this is now this is the one this is the one that. I went after right. Yeah, we all we're talking about the that. same one. Yeah, that what political politics girl, politics girl. Oh my god, she is yeah. so well. Yeah, just to make it, you know, more general for those listeners who may not, you know, use Twitter and see her tweets. It's just really <laughs> people with influence, right? They have like followers. They have they have a platform, right? And instead of calling out the Republicans for the shit that they're always voting against, they like to call out the Democrats 
for not doing enough for whatever. <laughs> and I'm mm-hmm. like, listen, and and they can kick rocks with the idea that Democrats have a mostly people of color in leadership. No, guess what? Democratic Party still run by mostly white people. Okay. This whole government is mostly run by white people. Okay. Mm-hmm. So maybe use your platform to embolden the party so that more people of color, more women can have positions of leadership in the party. But instead you're like naysaying and doomsday tweeting and all this crap is just, mm-hmm. it's depressing the vote. And it's exactly the moment we when we don't need the vote to press. And I don't understand, you know, coming after the party that's actually still fighting for you, like fighting for your your rights as an American, because the other side wants to take it away. The other side is like basically fuck democracy. So this is all to the, all the white people that's listening. Let me just tell y'all something. Stop withholding your vote. Don't even think about withholding your vote as we sit on the precipice of democracy literally being taken away from us. It's literally being stripped. Women's rights stripped. Voting rights stripped. Uh, let's see, your your right to marry the person that you love is, a, is about to be on the fucking table and you wanna stay home or vote for the other side? The other side is doing this to you. Stop fucking voting for people that don't have your best interests at heart. And for white women in particular, stop voting for white supremacy. Stop voting in the interests of your husbands and your sons and your nephews, stop. Because at the end of the day, you will never be at the equal level as, as them. And Financially you are, and just in general. If you are ignorant, if you think that those white men are gonna share any of that fucking power with you, white women. You are ignorant if you think they are. And the thing is, what really fucking gets me is that these white women and all these other white people that are threatening to withhold their votes because of whatever fucking reason. Like, this country is literally on the line. If people don't get out and vote, if you're going to be that fucking stupid and that immature and that fucking spoiled and self-centered that you're gonna withhold your vote and democracy falls, that's on you. Democracy falls, you get fucking nothing. I don't care if it's your fucking student loan forgiveness. I don't care if it's fucking labor rights, healthcare, voting rights, marriage rights, abortion rights, literally every single fucking concern that you have is out the fucking window if you don't vote and democracy falls. So wake the fuck up, get out there and vote because nobody is going to, none of these white men are going to do a goddamn thing for you, white women, not one goddamn thing for you. Woo. And on that note, Sarah, what do you have for us this week? <laughs> I'm I, I'm I'm gonna keep I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna stay with white men. Uh and how fucking problematic they are. Uh Greg Abbott, Ron DeSantis, shipping off Venezuelan immigrants who came to the United States to escape communism, to escape an authoritarian regime, and sending them to 
Martha's Vineyard, sending them to Chicago, sending them to fucking Vice President Kamala Harris's private residence at the Naval Observatory. One, obviously that is a security concern, sending them to her home. Number two, what the fuck are you doing? They're human that is, trafficking. That's what it is. Doing. It is human, human trafficking. trafficking. It's human trafficking. It is legally kidnapping. They are wasting. And for those of you who are like, oh yeah, I'm I, I'm socially liberal, but I'm you know I'm I'm financially conservative. Well, for all of you people who um, cannot bear to part ways with the whole conservative part of it, they're wasting taxpayer dollars by doing this. They're spending millions of your dollars, Texans and Floridians, and sending these people to these other states, okay? The good thing about all of this is that the people of Martha's Vineyard, the people in Chicago, um, the people that were at Madam Vice President's residence, they are taking the lead. They are banding together. They are doing what they can to support these immigrants that are being shipped off with no notice, mind you. They're not even telling the places where they're sending these immigrant, these migrants to that they're coming. But Congress people, public office holders, citizens of the cities are banding together to give these migrants what they need, something to eat, somewhere to go. You know, um, Massachusetts governor, I can't remember his name, he's a Republican, but I was shocked as hell that he actually made an effort to get these migrants somewhere safe. Uh, he took them to a, one, of our, one of the military installations on Cape Cod. What he's gonna do after that, who knows? Because he's a white male, he's a Republican. White supremacy is a fucking illness in this country. And what they are doing to these migrants is inhumane. It is uncompassionate. It is unsympathetic. It is evil. It's dirty. And fuck you to the white men in charge doing it. And fuck you to the white women supporting those white men. Yeah, <laughs> that's what you're voting for, everyone. That's what you're, when you vote Republican, that is the party that you are voting for. You're right? voting against your pussy. Voting for human trafficking. Because yeah. you can't just, I mean, they are literally human trafficking. I don't even understand how this is legal. And again, of course, we know that the legal justice system takes time and there's procedure. And so we'll see what ends up happening in terms of response to this. But and they not only just did this in those cities, they did this in, in the city of New York. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, you know what the yep. city of New York did? We took all of the migrants in. We housed them right here. We mm -hmm. got them services right here. Some of those kids are already attending New York City public schools. Sure is. Because that's what we do here in New York City. That is what happens when you have fucking compassionate people in charge who actually give a shit. It's white supremacy is a hell of a drug and I, I am so pissed off at white women. <laughs> like I, I am a white woman and I am pissed off at white women. I'm just pissed off at the history of white people in this country and they mm -hmm. still keep reviving this shit. Oh, younger white people will be the influence. I was like, some. Not all. And guess what? I was right. 
on that note, I think this is an excellent place to head into our interview with author and longtime librarian, Leisha Michelle. Uh, her latest book is called The White Allies Handbook. And white women, my demographic, ladies, you're going to want to listen to this interview. And if it's going to be hard for you to listen to, that really means that you need to listen to this interview. So we will go right in to our interview with Ms. Leisha. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's interview with uh, the wonderful Alicia Michelle. And I'm just going to take her bio off the back of her book, which we will be discussing. She is a librarian of more than 15 years. She's worked, she's worked in universities and public libraries. She is the founder of Real Talk, Women of Color and Allies for Racial Justice and Anti-Oppression. She is also a writer, avid reader, and pursuer of all things related to anti-racist work and activism. She also has a very heavy social media presence on Twitter where the three of us met her. <laughs> um, she spends a great deal of time there, uh, trying a great deal of time and personal effort uh, trying to share the work of anti-racism and uh, helping white women <laughs> see their own racism as much as she can. So we are definitely grateful. This white woman is grateful for it, for sure. Um, so welcome, Leisha. We are so excited to have you. Thanks. I feel like I already know you guys anyway. I mean, we talk all the time on Twitter, so it's not like this is like a really first real meeting. It's no, it's just we're hanging out. With the <laughs> we're just hanging out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's, awesome. it's good to see you all. It's good to see you all. See you. Yeah. Very good to see you. Yeah. Um, I'm actually sitting here with my copy of the White Allies Handbook. Yay. Um, it's really good. Oh. We're going to talk about it today. Um, for those uh, for those who are not aware of the book, it is called the White Allies Handbook: Four Weeks to Join the Racial Justice Fight for Black Women. White women. This book is for us. So um, we'll get started with the interview. And Leisha, you mentioned in the White Allies Handbook that there are numerous books on racism and being an ally slash anti-racist. Um, and you didn't see anywhere for white people to start acting on what they'd learned in some of those books that they'd read um, or any of those books necessarily telling white people how they can be an ally. Uh, so when did you start developing the idea and outline for the White Eyes Handbook? And why do you think other authors didn't give a starting point for the work to start with them? Um, that's a good question, actually. I think no one's asked me that question till just now. So thank you for that. Um, so I run a Facebook group um, called Real Talk, Women of Color and Allies for Racial Justice and Anti-Oppression. And I started that group in 2016. Um, by 2017, we were already doing trainings for white women. So I was doing part of those trainings, but I was also having a lot of conversations with white, with white women about how to be an ally. I mean, it was all the time, all day, just nonstop. And that really became the main reason why I decided to actually write the book. Um, it was just a natural progression because I kept having the same ridiculous conversations. It didn't go anywhere half the time. Um, so I, I thought that if I wrote the book and really emphasized that, first of all, the work is not to be done exclusively by black women or women of color, because that's not, that's not our labor to, to give and that it really needs to be done by white women. 
um, that really helped me kind of understand how I needed to write the book. And if you see it, like I never say in there that um, white women are, are, should be, or white people in general should be asking us for labor. You know, that we, we give it willingly when we want to, but don't ask us for it because we're tired. Um, so that's the reason why I started writing the book. Um, the reason that I wanted to do it is because I, I know what books are out there. I know, you know, I know about white fragility and, you know, all that stuff. Um, and they, they talk about the theory of racism as if it's this thing that we're just having an intellectual discussion about, but we don't really need to do anything that's really actionable. Um, so I decided that my book was going to be based on actions that you can take as an ally right off the bat to make real change. Um, I didn't see anything out there. I didn't see anything out there. And also, you know, one of the reasons that I think that people don't have that in their books is they don't have the experiences that I have, you know, so I have all the stories. I, I still have a lot of stories just from Twitter, but, you know, I have a ton of, you know, stories of, of having discussions with white people and, you know, me learning what, how to do it better, um, talking to the allies that I work with in my group and, and relaying stories from them. A lot of that went in the book. Um, but I think that's why you don't see that in a lot of other racial justice books, because they're not having those discussions. They've studied racism. They've studied white supremacy. They're maybe paying attention to what's going on around them, but they're not necessarily participating in those activities. Okay. Um, yeah, and I thank you for bringing that up with, um, it's not black women's job to put in the labor of educating people that, cause that leads actually right into my next question. Um, you speak a lot about white women asking black women for information, for feedback, um, and it's rightfully not up to you to black women to educate and inform us on our own anti-racism journeys. So where, where do you want those who are working on becoming allies to focus their questions? Like how can white women who have more, in, more experience in the discussion and the work um, help you? So I get this question a lot, like how can I start being an ally without burdening black women? Um, I mean, how many people just on Twitter are having these discussions. How many black women and women of color are talking about racism for free on social media? How many of us have written books? How many of us are giving lectures? How many people are doing this in, in colleges now where there's, they're having you know, whole you know, committees and, and things talking about racism now? So the, the education is out there. There's no reason for them to say, I demand that you teach me how to be um, anti-racist, which when they, when they say that this it's, it's complete, like, you know, crap, because they're, they're not saying it to learn anything. They're saying it to confront me about what I'm saying. It's, it's never a legitimate teach me about racism. It's more like teach me, but I'm going to really teach you what you don't know. So it's, it's ridiculous. Um, I would say as white women, take advantage of all the free information that's already out there. And I do have discussions about racism all the time, all the time on my Twitter page, but I'll pass it, I'll pass people off to other white people at some point, because it's at some point I'm just like, you're not even listening to me. And one of the reasons that I do that is because I learned working in my group 
that white people listen to white people way before they'll ever listen to me. Even if I know the stuff inside out, they're going to listen to other white people who will say the exact same thing and whatever, that's fine. I mean, it's frustrating, but if you get the message that way, then it'll probably lead you back to listening to black women. Like you should be doing that anyway. Um, so I would say with your last question of, uh, how white women who have more experience in the discussion, how can they help me? Um, I think if you see on my Twitter page, you see people gathering other white people when they're out of pocket, keep doing that, keep doing that. Um, and then take it into your real life. So the times that you witness something happening to a black woman, you know, you witness racism, you're witnessing microaggressions, um, you need to speak up in that moment. And I know when I say that people are like, well, but it could be risky. Well, it, it's riskier for me. So I need you to take the risk. It's riskier for me to, to be in that situation. Um, so I really need white people and white women to just speak up. So if you're gonna be a real ally, anytime you see racism, anytime you witness it, you hear it, you speak up. It's not selective. It's all the time. It's a hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> I just, I, I wish we can loop that into, you know, people's like sound machines every night. <laughs> so maybe it'll just, it'll sink in. Get a tattoo or something. I don't know. <laughs> something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of what you say, cause this, I see you gathering the white people. I literally, trust me, it's hard. It's hard cause for us is hard. Right. And so Besides you being an author and an anti-racist advocate, and also an amazing Twitter follower, like I said, you, you're amazing. We so all follow you. You. you guys I tried, are fun. You guys are really great to follow too. I well. tried to be, I, I, I was told that I could be toxic and divisive, but you get that too. So you get that all the time. You get that all, we get that, that all mean, the time. That means you're doing it right. That means yeah, you're doing I was it right. Say That's that all that means. You're doing something right. <laughs> and you have a sizable following, you do. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder what keeps you engaged on the social media platform and why is it necessary for you to spread your message on the importance of allyship? I think you already touched base on that question, but just, you know, how you yeah. keep engaged with all them dumb, dumb bots, especially with the whole, <laughs> you know, thing was going on with the news cycle going on for like, I guess, almost 96 hours with this. Oh whole my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Twitter, Twitter can be an amazing platform. I mean, it definitely has its problems, but one thing that, I like to use it for is just to have discussions around racism. And one thing that I've noticed is I'm, I'm getting a nice following of white people who will readily step in to address the nonsense on my page without me even having to say anything. They're already gathering their own. Um, and one thing that I say when I'm, when I'm talking to white people who are just getting frustrated on my page, they're like, they're everywhere. I was like, you know what? The person today that is being the jerk just keep going because that person's not going to listen, but the people who are reading along, they're learning from what you're from what you're saying. So pay attention to the people who are just reading along and this is their first time hearing this. Something's gonna click with them. You know, the, the awful person that we're kind of trying to educate or at some point you're just calling them out, that's not, that shouldn't be the main focus after like, you know, one hour there, 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 you know, at that point, it's the other people who are paying attention to the conversation. Um, and that's what keeps me engaged because I, I think that I'm getting white people to 
pay attention to the message without getting so caught up in their feelings. Um, and it's not everyone, obviously, but I think I'm slowly getting more people who are really interested in what it means to be anti-racist. Um, and they're talking amongst each other, which I love. They're having whole talks on Twitter underneath my, you know, my comments, but they're all talking it out amongst each other, which is really, really nice. Um, and that's one of the reasons that you see me on Twitter so often um, is because I know that a lot of the conversations that are timely, things that are happening in politics, things that are things that have happened as far as racial justice, people are talking about those on social media. Um, Twitter is one of the best places to go. So, you know, where else am I going to go in that moment to comment on January 6th? And, you know, how 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 interesting that that how that went down compared to when Black Lives Matter went to DC, you know? So in that moment when it's happening, you know, social media is like the best place to actually have those talks. Um, and yeah, there are a ton of bots and trolls on Twitter. You know, we all know that we all get them, um, but amongst them are people who I think genuinely want to have conversations around race. And those are the people that I focus on. Thank you. Sure. Well, before we wrap up this interview, or, or I should say our public release part of the interview, if you guys want to hear the rest, you need to subscribe to the Patreon. Mm -hmm. um, but just to lighten it up a bit, because I'm always really curious uh, <laughs> what people are up to <laughs> in terms of their <laughs> entertainment. So what are you watching or listening to or reading lately? Okay, I'm watching House of Dragons. Oh, yeah. House of the Dragon. I'm watching it. And I am just because I love I love Game of Thrones. Um, so I'm watching that. I just finished Abbott Elementary, which I am absolutely in love with. So I'm just excited about the second season for that. Um, so I'm one of those people, I guess because I'm a librarian, I don't really know. I typically have a couple of books going at the same time. <laughs> so I have an audiobook going and I have a book book going. So I'm actually I listened to the audiobook for 1619 Project. Now I'm actually reading the book. Um, so, cause I'm going to get more from it if I read it. So I'm now I'm reading it. Um, but I'm also listening to this, <laughs> this book called Solas, which is like <laughs> this book about Ooh. vampires and werewolves. <laughs> yes. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> it's so good. So I have to have something that takes me out just into like fantasy and stuff because the 1619 Project has got to be one of the most traumatizing reads of my entire life, you know, I mean, but I, but I have to read it again because I know I missed things the first time. Mm -hmm. So I'm reading the actual book this time and kind of highlighting and going through it that way. So that's what I'm doing. You know, I, I read a ton of stuff and I try to kind of balance between the really traumatic with something that's completely just fantasy. So that's how I get through it. It's a great balance. I know. <laughs> Vampires, 1619. Let's just say <laughs> that book like I already knew certain things just from like being inquisitive on my own. Like my teacher skipped some of the stuff in the pages of the textbook, but it's just a simple fact <clears throat> is like the way we were treated, black women in particular. Yeah. Son. Yeah. I don't want to hear no white fragility shit. Like now I have no room. Right. Right. I, I have right. no room. And yeah. for all the white people listening, this is not being offensive. This is just being real. I don't want to hear your shit. I don't. I completely get that. And, and even with, um, I tried to read They Were Her Property and I gave up. 
because it was too traumatizing. I, I just couldn't, I mean, it's so, if you haven't read it, it's so graphic. It's so incredibly graphic. I got about a third of the way through and I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I don't need to hear the stories of us being murdered. I don't need to hear those stories. You know, and it's super graphic. I'm like, nope, I'm good. I'm good. Um, but, you know, the little bit that I got through it, I, you know, when people want to push that narrative that white women were in this passive role during slavery, I'm like, no, you weren't. You were not. You were murdering us right along with your husbands, your brothers, your fathers. It was, you were doing it too. You were signing off on it. You were tortured. It, all of it was happening with them being very aware of it and completely fine with it. They were not like little wilting flowers and, you know, they were just being dragged along against their will. None of that was true. So, but I'm also not going to ever read that book. <laughs> I'm going to read it. Not, not I, read it. I hear about a lot of these books and it's like, I want to read them, but at the same time, it's like, I, I want to be witness and put in that work. But at the same time, I don't, it, it feels like it might be engaging in somebody in like the trauma of somebody else. And it's kind of like, like right. trauma porn is right. how I refer to it. Right. You know, right. it's like, it's like, yes, I want to read and I want to, I, I want to learn about this, but it's like, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean that, that book I think could be kind yeah. of on that spectrum of trauma porn because it is, I mean, it's, it's just really graphic. Um, and I was not ready and I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not reading this. I mean, 1619 is hard to get through. It's hard to get through this book. They were her property. I mean, when I tell you that it is, I mean, they just don't pull any punches on murder and torture and stuff. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't need to, mm -hmm. I don't need mm -hmm. to, to read Well, I'm this. on chapter three. I just made chapter three because I've been busy. So let's just say reading about race, that was crazy. So I just want I to say know. that. I know that was like to me the most eye-opening part. And this is for the the nineteen the, the sixteen nineteen. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I mean, to me that should be required reading for everybody because most of that I was like, I had no idea, I had no idea, and that tells you how bad our our educational system is when it comes to like telling real history. I mean, it was that's I got to read it again because I'm like I got to read this again because I know I miss things, so I got to I got to read it again. And also, I want to be able to have those discussions about what's happened, what's going on in that book. I want to be able to have those discussions going forward. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for the public portion of our interview. We're so glad to have you. Uh, for anybody else who wants to hear more about what Ms. Leisha, what Ms. Leisha has to say, become a patron. So thank you again for coming. We really enjoyed you. You're welcome. Sure. Wow. That was an amazing interview. I hope it you was. enjoyed it. And if you want to hear the full interview, because we go even more in depth with Miss Leisha Michelle, please subscribe to our Patreon so that you can get access to the full interviews. Whew. I mean, what a theme of this show. So right now we're moving into our <laughs> bitch ass and badass of the week. First, we're going to reveal the winners from last week's nominees and your votes, listeners. So last week for Bitch Ass of the Week, we had nominated SCOTUS, Royal Apologists, and Killer Mike. And we not only got a statistical tie, we got an actual tie 
for bad for bitch ass of the week and that goes to scotus and the royal apologist guess you're both equally hated cheers to you, <laughs> <laughs> the fuck i mean i can't even um but on a good note uh, our badass of the week nominees from last week were the oathkeeper leaker which sounds so funny to say <laughs> um hallie bailey and New York State prosecutors. And with a whopping 64% of the vote, our badass of the week was Miss Hallie Bailey. She deserved that well win. deserved all the flowers to her. And now we're going to reveal our nominees for this week. After you listen to our show, we will be posting the polls and you'll get a chance to vote and you'll find out your winners next week. So... Sarah, who did you nominate for bitch ass of the week this week? That would be Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham, for introducing a 15-week abortion ban nationwide. Fuck you very much. You do not tell people with a uterus what they can and cannot do with their uterus. And people are saying, well, the Republicans really didn't want this. No, yes, they did. Mitch McConnell said that if they took power in the Senate again, that they would be working for a nationwide abortion ban. It's just that they don't want to fucking talk about it. So yeah, fuck Lindsey Graham and his 15-week abortion ban. I concur. I concur. Shantae, who did you nominate for bitch this week? It's one of the royal, I guess, authors. It's like Angela Levine. I don't like her. Thank you. <laughs> I don't like her. Uh, I was watching one of those like British TV things online. And um, let's just say she was saying some negative shit about the Duchess of Sussex and saying how she doesn't belong in this family. She was pressed. Why? She thought she was going to get a standing ovation and like two people on there. Keep in mind, one of them is critical of the prince, the Duke and the Duchess. But ask this lady, what the fuck is your problem? Why the fuck you have an issue with her? And the host was like, uh, you know, I don't understand your position. I don't understand. And then she came into a Karen mode and she was like, oh, I want to go away. I'm going to post a video on our thing. But she was like, oh, my God. She was like, I don't want to come here no more. I don't understand this. I don't want to come here no more. It's horrible. You guys don't treat me. Hard. No, because you don't have no fucking reason why you don't like the Duke and the Duchess. More so the Duchess. You have no reason saying she doesn't fit in the family where she absolutely fits. She actually is the reason why that family's still popping because that family's dry as fuck. All right. It is. They get dry well as fuck. Nominee, well deserved nomination for her. And but Harry does wear the hell out of, wear the hell out of a uniform. I will say that he does. Well, I'm gonna round up this uh, list of nominees with Jimmy Kimmel for being the ultimate bitch ass in trying to steal a black woman's moment. Fuck you, Jimmy Kimmel. You ain't right. You ain't right. Okay. And now moving on. So again, <laughs> to remind the listeners, our nominees for Bitch Ass of the Week this week are Lindsey Graham, Angela Levine, and Jimmy Kimmel. And now to end on a positive note, <laughs> 
our badass of the week, the best of the best this week. Sarah, who are you nominating? I am nominating Miss Shirley Ralph for her win, her Emmy win for Abbott Elementary because one, her acceptance speech was gold. Mm -hmm. It was give that woman all the fucking flowers. Mm -hmm. She sang, number one, part of her acceptance and then gave the most encouraging fucking acceptance speech that you could give. I mean, the woman is amazing. She is amazing. Um, And she, I don't know how many of our listeners know this. She is the only woman in 35 years and the second woman overall to win that category. 35 years. Jackie in a comedy. Mm -hmm. Yes. Jack or a supporting actress in a comedy. Oh, sorry. Supporting. Um, Jack A. Harry was the first one to win 35 years ago when she was on 227, which is also a great show. I remember that show. I love that show. So I want to give all the flowers to Miss Cheryl Lee Ralph. AKA the original Dina of Dreamgirls. Yes. And honestly, so no, but she's, she's a Tony and Emmy winner now. Yep. And honestly, I'm for that you got, let's do it. She was the best Dina. Yep. So Shantae, who are you nominating this? The Duchess week? of Sussex. Yeah. Because why? Because the Duchess reminds me of her mother-in-law. If she would have met her mother-in-law, like met her, her mother-in-law would have adored her. You're right. And uh-huh. she had to put up with this week and she did it with such style and grace. She deserves and class. That's what happens when you're raised by a black woman. Ah, tell them. Yep. And so she was, she had all the class in the world, despite what everybody said to her, despite the British media and then the American media and then some of the sour asses. Mm-hmm. I don't like the Duchess in America for whatever reason. Like the last time I checked, y'all was watching her on TV. Y'all was watching because she was a TV actress. So y'all was watching her. I don't understand what's the fucking problem now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, up that that other one. You that, know what their problem is? They don't like black women being so close to having that much power. They mm-hmm. can't feel. Well, they don't like black women that close. They to can suck it because this whole episode uh, and this whole badass nominee list is all black women. Because my nominee is Kinta Bronson for writing Abbott Elementary and winning her Emmy and standing up there. And doing her thing, despite the fact that Jimmy Kimmel stole so much of her moment that they even had to play her fucking out. They, they put the music on her speech. I was tight. So our nominees again this week, Cheryl Lee Ralph, the Duchess, Meghan Markle, and Kinta Bronson. Can we add one honorable mention in there? Sure. It's not a Black woman. But I do want to give an honorable mention to Labor Secretary Marty Walsh and President Biden for averting a rail strike. Because we are trying to come out of a, we're trying to come out of what, oh God, not a recession, inflation. And that would have increased the prices on the rail. It would have stopped products from hitting the shelves. They had less than 40 hours to fix it to find an agreement with real workers and they fucking did it so you know what america you're welcome yes honorable mention 
but this week still belongs to black women. Yes. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna do it up almost every week. It's gonna be hard for us not to always just yeah. exactly exactly. Yeah. All right, everyone. So you heard the this uh the bitch asses and the badasses of the week were minor that the poll will be going up. So cash your vote. And the nominees will be the winner of those um, categories, excuse me, will be announced next week. And once again, we greatly appreciate you all for listening. Thank you so much. Remember to follow us on the socials at the Joyful She. If you can't spell, let me spell it for you. T-H-E-J-O-Y-F-U-L. She. The, the joyful she. Oh, sorry. Like throw the that extra E in there because we extra. See? I got to worry about spelling. See, I got to worry about spelling. The joyful she. If you ain't following us, you, you don't know what you're missing. And, you know, so if you got to start from season one, start from the very long interviews. I oh, absolutely. You, you cannot turn, even if it's a long interview, it is Miss Denise Oliver Velez. You cannot not listen to that. I'll see y'all next week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Unapologetically She. I'm Sarah. I'm Shante. I'm Eliane. You can find us on all social media platforms at the T-H-E-E Joyful She. And it's because of listeners like you that we are able to share our thoughts on current events. Please support us on Patreon at the Joyful She. We'll see you online. 